Well, it turns out that uh, Louis I. Scooter Libby fought the law, and the law won. The former chief of staff to Vice President Dick Cheney was found guilty this week on four counts of obstructing justice and lying to a grand jury and the FBI. Libby could be sentenced to a maximum of about 30 years in prison and fined up to $1.25 million. This case, of course, was built around uh, Scooter Libby's talking to reporters about Valerie Plame, outing her as a CIA agent in retribution for her husband, revealing that he had gone to Niger and had basically destroyed the uh, story that Niger was selling uranium yellow cake to Iraq as part of a weapons of mass destruction program. We've talked about this on the program before. Outing a CIA agent uh, thusly is illegal, but no one was charged with doing that to Valerie Plame. You had to love Scooter Libby's uh, defense team, which initially went out and said, Mr. Libby is being made a scapegoat, and then decided, uh, I think, uh, after Karl Rove uh, got involved, we surmise, that this was probably not a fruitful approach to take in, take in a defense. Apparently, reports of uh, uh, jury deliberations reveal that the jurors were really wondering why it was that Mr. Libby was the only person being charged in this matter. Radio Parallax thinks that's a really good question, because we think Mr. Libby really is being a scapegoat for higher-ups, and, and higher-ups in this case means Dick Cheney, Karl Rove, and George W. Bush, because there really aren't any others in the higher-ups category when you're the uh, right-hand man of the vice president. Time Magazine's analysis of the case noted that no fewer than four officials testified they had told Libby who Plame was, and two reporters testified that Libby later confirmed that her identity in one way or another. Prosecutor Patrick Fitzgerald followed those witnesses with eight hours of Libby on tape denying or not recalling any of those conversations. And in a way, I kind of admire his defense team, who told the jury that, well, yes, it appears that Mr. Libby had been informed earlier about her identity, but doggone it, it completely slipped his mind. And when he later had conversations with reporters about it, why, it was as if he didn't know it. Apparently, all that information is just was, had, had, had left his memory bank. Because, after all, Mr. Libby was far too preoccupied with affairs of state, like the Iraq war and the nuclear capabilities of Iran and North Korea, to remember being told things about Valerie Plame. Well, it didn't work, and Mr. Libby is going to serve some time behind bars. Now the question is, what about the higher-ups who remain unindicted co-conspirators in this matter? Watch this space. And uh, when it comes to higher-ups in this case, we're really intrigued to see the cover of U.S. News and World Report, the February 26th issue, which uh, features the cover story asking about America's worst presidents. From Richard Nixon to John Tyler, a fresh look at our most dismal commanders-in-chief. This was titled A Special Report. We should also note that U.S. News and World Report is a very conservative magazine, uh, even more so than Time. But in their special report by Jay Tolson, they opened up as follows. Is George W. Bush's presidency shaping up to be one of the worst in U.S. history? You hear the question being asked more and more these days. 
And more and more you hear the same answer. With Iraq a shambles and trust in the administration declining, it is probably not surprising that 54% of respondents in a recent USA Today Gallup survey said that history would judge Bush as a below average or poor president, more than twice the number who gave such a rating to any of the five preceding occupants of the White House. We talked about this last year, some of our worst presidents. Uh, It seems to be pretty much universally agreed that James Buchanan tops the list. Noted U.S. News, uh, Buchanan, the 15th president, tacitly encouraged the Supreme Court's Dred Scott decision, which ruled that Congress had no power to keep slavery out of the territories. Buchanan demonstrated a complete unwillingness to challenge those states that declared their intention to withdraw from the Union after Lincoln's election. Sitting on his hands as the situation spiraled out of control, Buchanan believed the Constitution gave him no power to act against would-be seceders. To his dying day, he felt that historians would treat him favorably for having performed his constitutional duty. Noted the magazine, he was wrong. We recommend uh, this article uh, to you, U.S. News and World Report. I'm sure it's online. But we are both fascinated and encouraged by the fact that people are asking the question, is this president the worst in U.S. history? We'll only say this on this program. He's in the top three. Up there in the stratosphere with Buchanan and Warren G. Harding. With perhaps uh, Franklin Pierce as honorable mention. But we think he's worse than Ulysses S. Grant. We think he's worse than Richard Nixon. We think he's worse than Herbert Hoover. And we would again refer you to the excellent book, David Wallachinsky's book, The World's 20 Worst Living Dictators. He did not include uh, George Bush on a list of dictators, but did have a special addendum where the Bush presidency was discussed in that volume. And we think you, dear listener, need to take a look at Seymour Hersh's article, which has not been making the front pages of Americans' newspapers, but is worth a look which talks about how the Bush administration is funneling money to al-Qaeda-related groups in Iraq. Yes, yes, that's al-Qaeda-related groups. According to Seymour Hersh, the U.S. has been pumping money, a great deal of money, without congressional authority, without congressional oversight, for covert operations in the Middle East, where it wants to stop the Shiite spread or the Shiite influence. Hirsch says these funds have ended up in the hands of three Sunni jihadist groups who are connected to al-Qaeda but want to take on Hezbollah. Hirsch sums up his scoop uh, in stark terms, noting, quote, We are simply in a situation where this president is really taking this notion of executive privilege to the absolute limit here, running covert operations, using money that was not authorized by Congress, supporting groups indirectly that are involved with the same people that did 9-11. Hirsch added, All this should be investigated by Congress, by the way, and I trust it will be. In my talking to membership, They are very upset, they know nothing about this, and they have a great many suspicions. You can say what you want about Seymour Hersh. He has connections in the intelligence community, and, uh, you know, if he was wrong, if this was a a wild-ass guess and he was wrong, he would be under attack. The fact that nobody's saying very much about this indicates to us that he is on to something. We will, of course, continue to follow this story. And other examples of bad leadership, 
Venezuela's Hugo Chavez, who has not been considered one of the world's worst dictators, uh, but is starting to look more and more like one. Uh, we note that Venezuela has spent more than $4 billion on fighter jets, attack helicopters, rifles, and other arms in the last two years. Its spending on the international arms market is now greater than Pakistan's and Iran's. And no, we're not sure what Ugo plans to do with all of those newfound arms. Mr. Gramillan suggested that it may be to defend himself against the U.S., and to that, uh, you know, I'd have to agree that is, uh, would be a legitimate concern for Mr. Chavez. We just hope he doesn't decide to follow in the footsteps of Fidel Castro too closely. At any rate, it is interesting to note that uh, according to Nicolin de Boer from Radio Netherlands, America isn't the only place where science is under siege. Muslim creationists are waging a stealth campaign to try and make Europeans doubt the truth of evolution. They've blitzed European schools with copies of an 800-page Islamic textbook called The Atlas of Creation. The Turkish author, Harun Yahya, holds that Darwin's theory is responsible for all the evil in the world, including international terrorism. Turkey, by the way, is the one major nation on Earth where evolution is doubted at an even higher rate than it is here in the United States. Which does, again, show a rather disturbing link between the Bush administration and Islamic fundamentalism. And uh, I'm sure that uh, the founder of the modern Turkish Republic, Kemal Ataturk, is spinning in his grave right now. And we mentioned the show, we've got to talk about Ataturk in a future program. Well, we're going to see what we can do about that. Interesting fellow. All right, and in our, uh, our final item of today's program, we need to address the matter of the so-called Tomb of Jesus and Family from the Discovery Channel. I'd like to quote from an article in LancasterOnline.com by Helen Caldwell Adams. The man who raised the Titanic will blast away at the rock on which the Christian faith is built. Or not. Most scholars of archaeology and the Bible are betting not. Titanic director James Cameron's claim that he and another filmmaker, Simcha Jacobovici, have identified the tomb of Jesus Christ has been met with nearly universal derision by experts. The assertion that a group of ossuaries or bone boxes dating from the first century contain the names of Jesus and members of his family including his supposed wife, Mary Magdalene, and maybe son, Judah, is headline news all around the world. It happens every Easter, around the observance of Christianity's most theologically significant holiday, this year on April 8th, someone invariably gets headlines with an iconoclastic claim about the faith. Last year it was the Gospel of Judas and the pre-release hype of the Da Vinci Code. Said Dr. Greg Carey, Associate Professor of New Testament at Lancaster Theological Seminary, Everything about the promotion of this documentary smells of marketing. Ten years ago, the BBC produced a documentary making similar claims about the Talpiot tomb. It sank without a trace except for a similar round of scholarly dismissals. This time, marketing has made the difference in terms of attention. Said Dr. Bryant Wood of the Associate for Biblical Research, they're kind of presenting it as some new archaeological discovery. Said Wood, no reputable scholar has come forth with this theory. 
Well, to make a long story short, apparently the names uh, that are on these boxes are subject to dispute. They did some DNA evidence that uh, that appears to contradict what they say it says. And if that isn't enough, uh, apparently some of these ossuaries from the same area, at least one previous one that in 2003 had been suggested held the remains of Jesus' younger brother James, uh, well, the owner of that is on trial in Israel for antiquities fraud. Well, to make a long story short, it apparently is all a bunch of bunk. And ladies and gentlemen, we are out of time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. We want to thank Steve Etlinger for coming on and talking to us about, well, what goes into your snack foods. we got to do more food science topics in the future. We'll see what we can do about that. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. And we'll see you next week at the same time. Oh